Welcome to the Metaphysical Martini Show, where wit and wisdom come together to bridge the gap between the spirit realm and the physical world. With Ani Abadisian, the Suburban Shaman, a production of Cosmic Reality Radio. Hello, everyone. I'm Ani Abadisian. Welcome to Metaphysical Martini. Three parts spirit, one part rational mind. Add two drops of optimism. Give it all a good hard shake and pour. Dress it with the olives of grace and empathy. Sit back, sip slowly, and contemplate the wonders of cosmic co-creation. And a hearty hello to everyone out there. Hello, hello, hello. Thanks for joining me for yet another round of cocktails on today's Metaphysical Martini, the show that tries to sort out what's true, what's woo, and what gets flushed down the loo. In today's, oh my God, how did we not see that coming? How did we not hear the death marchers drumming, tone deaf, intellectually challenged, visually impaired, and poorly managed sad little world? If you want a show that is politically correct, conformist, lacking in intellect, terrified of being labelled a reformist, this show ain't it. So move along now, nothing to see here. Martini heads are open-minded, open-hearted seekers of truth. And our rally cry is, awaken, O my people, do not follow the path of the sheeple, do not give our God cause to weeple. And it must be said, as it is said on this show pretty much every week, the level of imbecility on display today is enough to give one the creeples. Take off your damn masks, people. There is no pandemic. Use your brain power. Use your spidey vision to see through the illusionary matrix of evil. How hard is it for you to comprehend that nothing about this scenario mirrors an actual pandemic. Just how many red flags, glaring, giant, bright red, redder than Satan's ass red flags, do we have to wave in front of you before you start asking some questions? Two weeks to flatten the curve, right? More than a year later, we're still at it. We might do this forever. Show me your papers, please. As the meme goes, how did you not see this coming? Oh, my God, people, Jesus, Mary, Joseph, and all the saints help us. Your compliance has us marching towards totalitarian transhumanism, and that is not easy to say. Peeps, this is not good. It's bad. It's very bad. It's badder than very bad. It's badissimo. Once you accept the mark of the beast, the one prick to trick them all, you have accepted a software program into your being with one main purpose, to disrupt your connection to the cosmic divine and ultimately disconnect the human interface from any access to its true nature, which is, of course, cosmic and divine. Once that is achieved, turning you into an AI automaton is just a series of clicks away, and bingo! The prophecy of the Georgia Guidestones is activated. Now there's a chilling thought. Peeps, if we want to throw the globalists out to arrest them, prosecute them, and in some cases execute them, and I might even volunteer for that, we have to get into the grassroots, and we have to do some serious weeding. Ignore all the people who think they know what's going on behind the scenes. They have convinced you that your participation in this is not required. That the white hats, along with, uh, say, the military, will get it all done for you. And then they'll tell you when it's safe for you to come out. They have done us all a great disservice. Do not be lazy. We are the ones responsible for our own ascension. It's not something one gets to delegate. 
people for all things, there is a right and proper time. At this time, I'm going to sip my excellent email. Uh, did I say my excellent email? I haven't had that much to drink yet. My excellent cocktail. Hang on. LOL. All right. Now. There's a time to love, a time to hate, a time for war, a time for peace, a time to reap, to keep, to cast away all of that in its own time. Not trying to instill a sense of urgency into anyone. But you know what? The time now is this is the time to get off our asses and reclaim our minds, reclaim our countries and our planet from the greatest evil we will ever see in this or any other lifetime. I'm talking about the subjugation of divinely inspired human consciousness. For decades, I have warned and many people have warned that this planet is ruled by a small band of sociopaths who see the planet as their private company. They see us as cattle, moo, and, you know, we're a disposable labor force. And they see the resources of our gracious mother Gaia as their inventory. Never was it more obvious than it is right now that these four warnings are correct. It's time, people. It's time. It's time to ask ourselves the ultimate question one can ask on a physical realm. What does it mean to be human? Who am I? What am I doing here? Why? What is my purpose? Even people who are scared to take a real look at what's going on know that deep down something is wrong. Get up in the morning and say, what does it mean to be a human all right, well, let's get on with the show. It's time for quack. And that's the reason, of course, that we started the show, questions, answers, comments, to find out what we the people have on our minds, our individualized minds, our sovereign divine cosmic minds, before they are microchipped into one giant hive mind. If you would like to contribute to the betterment of mankind by sharing your questions and comments, on this award-winning show, send them in to me, Ani at AniAvedician.com, or via snail mail to Cosmic Ani, P.O. Box 714, Wilsonville, Oregon, 97070, America the Beautiful. As always, let us know if and how you wish to be identified, or else we shall refer to you as omit personal details. Alrighty. Let's shake up the fishbowl of perpetual perplexity and see what falls out. And I think I'll have a sip of my drinky poo while we do that. <clears throat> Gosh, that's lovely. OK. Here's one from, I think, a chap called Lorcan. Now, I think that's a great old Irish name. And Lorcan asks, dearest Annie, can you give us any firm assurance that white hats are moving toward their goals behind the scenes? Look, in firm assurance as in hard proof? No, I can't. I can sit here and I can tie a thousand threads together and tell you what, based on a combination of my former life and my intuitive skill set, I assume is going down. But I can't present you with any hard proof. And it seems nor can anyone else at this point in time. I do know the white hats at every level are working diligently and some without rest to bring down the bad guys. But here's the thing. These aren't just bad guys doing bad things. This is the ideology of the reptilian empire in action, deep state. And they have waited thousands of years to make the final move on the destruction of our species. They're not going to just turn around and leave because a handful of humans are challenging the illegal mask mandates and daring to shop in Walmart unmasked. Do you know what will help the White Hats? Massive grassroots movements, persistence, diligent, focused, relentless resistance to all of the fear-mongering and the insane mandates. Don't get jabbed. Heaven's sake, people, don't get jabbed. This will really help the White Hats, and it will help you not to die. If you got the first one, don't get the second one. It's not a vaccine. 
It's a bioweapon. Don't let them teach ridiculous concepts such as critical race theory and political correctness in schools. And while we're at it, let's get back to proper maths and arithmetic and not this common core bullshit. Be relentless in your calling to account elected officials who allow domestic terrorism by facilitating brutality and the destruction of property and then bailing out the paid thugs. Understand that defunding the police is designed not to stop establishment brutality. No, no, no. No matter how they sell it, that's not it. It's designed to destroy any notion of public safety, to cause mass chaos, making way for the United Nations New World Order troops to come in and enforce Agenda 21 and Agenda 2030. We have to help the white hats by using the same tactics the black hats are using. They, the black hats, the bad, the bad ones, they are relentless in their pursuit of dominance over our planet, over our very existence. And we have to be relentless in our desire and in our actions daily to rid Mother Earth of their foul stench. Lorcan, I too wish to see something hard happen in the public eye. But I guess we're going to have to wait. So let's all do our bit and tip the scale, shall we? Grassroots movement, persistence, diligence and focus. This will cause the critical mass and this will tip the scale. Thank you for that email. Let's take another question from the fishbowl of perpetual perplexity. Shaky, shaky, shaky. Uh, this one. OK, this is Amit Personal Details who asks. Ani, that's me. You said you have worked on several people who have received the COVID fake vaccine shot and that you were disturbed by what you saw. Can you describe it, please, from the perspective of an energy worker? I am a Reiki master, but I work mainly on animals, so have limited perspective. OK, I think we've covered this before, but we're going to be covering it again because this is what we mean by end of day scenario. Energy work is very simply affirming your divine potential and it's prayer work in a sense, rather than, you know, too much mechanical work. We go into the system, the aura, the chakras, the, the light body anatomy, and we affirm the perfection of your creation. And that reinstalls or refreshes the original blueprints of um, optimal health template, both physical and etheric. That's all we do. What I see in the people who have taken the, the shot is that there's a different software program running alongside that. And the sole purpose of that software program is to stop people realigning the human interface to the spiritual interface. In other words, to sever our connection to supreme cosmic intelligence, to God, to Christ consciousness, whatever the heck you want to call it. That in itself is deeply and profoundly disturbing. But what is even more disturbing is that 80% of the program is empty. There's a lot of room in there to write things over it. That is truly spooky. And then there are entities that are associated with this software. Right now, they look like little creepy crawlies that want to just take over the system coat the system, coat the cells. And they've been duplicating, replicating. But I'm keeping a very close eye on it because I want to see if they morph into a different type of entity. I'll keep you posted on that. And with people who have taken the AstraZeneca shot, um, because I do keep a track of this, there also seems to be part of that program that makes them obsessed with getting other people to take the shot. So that's what I'm seeing in the plainest English that I can come up with. And I'm just going to say, because what's the point? We're in end of day scenario fighting for the future of humanity. I'll be polite and gracious. But if you medical practitioners are the medical practitioners going out there injecting this bioweapon into people, you're committing crimes against humanity. You are committing, you are accessory to mass murder. And those of you who are accepting this shot into your body, 
you are allowing the human gene pool to be altered, paving the way to God knows what. But peeps like me, having worked for many organizations, some benevolent, some malevolent, know full well it is the first step to transhumanism. And that gives me the willies. And people, I think we all know, I'm not really into willies, so double no-no for me. Thanks for that question, Omit. We're going to be talking about this over and over again until it makes sense to more people. Now, here's a lovely postcard from a place called Whitefish, Montana. And this person doesn't want to be named either, but says, Hello, Ani. My daughter says, eating meat blocks divine connection. I eat meat almost every day and I am healthy and I have good bowel movements. <laughs> I still love the Lord and speak to him often. I don't see a problem with my connection. I love my daughter, but sometimes I just want to kick her in the shins. I don't, of course, because I'm a good role model. I just roll my eyes, grab a beer and walk away. Oh, my gosh. Um, what a sweet little postcard. And I'm surprised you managed to get all that onto this little rectangle here. Let me have a drink and I'll answer your question. Mm. Damn, that's good. OK. <clears throat> me, 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 me. All right, my dear meat eater from Whitefish, Montana. If you speak to God daily, you feel healthy and you have lovely, fluffy bowel movements daily. What more could a man ask for, I say? Be at peace, brother, and enjoy your ribeye. Life is short. It's even shorter for the cow. But, you know, we are far from the no-kill consciousness plateau of fourth dimensional living. So grab some grey poupon, some coleslaw and a cold brewski and enjoy your meal. <clears throat> we can debate the pros and cons of omnivore versus herbivore. But what peeps must keep in mind is this individualized assessment. We all have different blood types, different gene pools, different body types. At this time in our evolution, there are millions of people whose health will be compromised if they eliminated meat from their diets. And you can take the high moral ground and spout your carefully edited propaganda till the hedgehogs come home. But that is a fact, plain and simple. You know, a little interesting tidbit I'll share. We're often told that eating meat makes you aggressive, you know, even by people we consider to be enlightened gurus. In my experience, of all the people I've dealt with, and I've dealt with a great many people, the most, the most aggressive, opinionated, belligerent, and downright mean-spirited people have been vegans with an agenda to make the rest of us conform to their beliefs and consume what is often a highly toxic diet of processed meat substitutes. I'm not saying all vegans are like this. Obviously, they are not. Or vegetarians. I'm just saying that I've met and dealt with a lot of cowboys and a lot of meat eaters. And the level of aggression they have doesn't match the level of aggression of a militant vegan. That's really what I'm saying. So it's got nothing to do with eating meat. Whatever you eat out there, people, just make sure it's the freshest and the best quality you can afford. Stay hydrated. Make sure you get plenty of fiber because the secret to a long and happy life is regular, fluffy, satisfying bowel movements. May the poo be with you. T.Y. for the question, whitefish man. Go grill your ribeye. All right, let's pick something else. And yeah, let's do this one. Why not? Our next question comes from Iris in Salem, Oregon, who says, Arnie. Do you think we are going to turn into the independent states of America? For example, Florida and other states speaking out against mask and fake ma vaccine mandates and the New World Order posing as progressive states of not America. OK, I see where you're going on this. Do you think it will get that far? Iris says, I despair because people are basically lazy and like living in a zoo of their own creation. My husband and I are taking steps to leave Oregon. Thankfully, we are retired. And although we live on a fixed income, we can sell up and move to a constitution friendly state. Will you and your partner be doing the same? 
Hmm. Well, Iris, it does look that way, doesn't it? You know, in terms of possibly merging into these two Americas, which won't be a clean line, of course, because it'll be a state here, a state there. Not to wear out the old phrase, but due to the hubris of mankind, we are now in uncharted territory. And while I'm beyond happy to see well-organized grassroots resistance breaking out all over the planet, and of course, you're not going to see that uh, on mainstream anywhere. I mean, I'm, I'm delighted about that. But, you know, we don't know which way it's going to go right now. The more we push back, the more the cabal pushes forward. So we're in for the long haul. People just didn't want to be inconvenienced, did they? And there's a lot of reasons for that. Ignorance, naivety, lack of motivation, lack of curiosity, plain being stupid. You know, so many people said, oh, sure, I'll wear a mask for the privilege of going about my own business. Oh, sure, I'll get a toxic death jab for no good reason other than now I can move freely. But I still have to wear the mask. And interesting that the jab offers no protection to me or to others. But hey, if it means I can move freely by plane, then sure, I'll do it. Of course, it could kill me. But that notion is a bridge too far. So I will live in my compliant little bubble of imbecility and pretend I'm a good little citizen and do whatever I am told, because if I don't, I might have to change my lifestyle and deal with really important issues such as the meaning of soul sovereignty and freedom and life and the universe and who am I and all that stuff. All that stuff we actually came down to earth to figure out. But nope, nope. I just want to get my groceries at Safeway and then go home to watch fake news and see what's on Netflix. Well, that's the zoo, isn't it, Iris? This was Iris, wasn't it? There's my, yeah, this was Iris. Okay, I, 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 get, I get this wrong sometimes. So, you know, it's the zoo. This is the zoo we've created. It's a big cage, but it's familiar and we know where the food is. Iris, none of us know which way this will go. Almost everyone underestimated the Luciferian threat. A great many people, myself included, wished the White Hats had staged a military coup, dealt with the fallout come what may. If America falls, and this current administration is not an American administration, it is a department of the New World Order. If America falls, I won't see the great awakening in my lifetime. I'm 61 years old and I suspect I'll live another 30 years. If America falls, it'll take two, three generations, if we're lucky, to get it up and running. That doesn't mean we give up, though. We never give up. We never surrender. The purpose of an incarnation is to let the spirit inhabit the human. This administration wants to separate the human from the spirit and turn us into mind-controlled automatons. Thus far, even without the planned massive 100% implementation of AI into human bodies, they are succeeding because millions of peeps have accepted the mark of the beast. And these people are walking bioweapons. Most humane possible case scenario, they simply die a quiet and peaceful death without infecting too many people around them. Worst possible case scenario, they cause chaos before they die. If anyone out there thinks there is an actual pandemic and that the shot is actually a vaccine, congratulations, people. Please check your neighbor's rectum for your prize. Think again, peeps. Think again. We're on the brink of humanity's collapse. Don't be idiots. Iris, keep in touch with regard to your move. And yes, my partner and I are discussing a possible move to a constitution-friendly state. Um, you know, the independent states of America. It's a difficult decision for all of us because we don't know how the world is going to change from day to day. You know, to everyone out there who's aware of the matrix, it is a bitter pill to swallow, knowing that all your dreams for the future are now in limbo, to see friends and family tricked into committing slow suicide, to see people once again falling on their knees to worship yet another false golden calf. But you know what? That's where we are. And we are going to help each other find a way through it. And we are going to be available for those who were once lost and now wish to find their way back to right-mindedness. 
All I know for sure is God is great, and therefore so are we. All right, time for a little sippy poo with my drinky poo, which is growing on me, growing on me. I had my doubts about this, but once I made it and tasted it, it's definitely growing. All right, let's see. Should we take another question before delving into tarot, philosophy, weird news, and whatever else we can fit into this hour? Let's do it. All right. This one is from Theodore, lovely name, in Baltimore, who's a doctor. Oh, no, Baltimore's in Maryland, MD. <laughs> Sorry. Um, anyway, Theo is in Baltimore, in the state of Maryland, who says, Arnie. The perfect classic martini is a rare and noble thing. I love you, Theodore. Given the name of your podcast, I assume you are an expert on the subject. Yes, I am. Who invented it? Do you prefer gin or vodka as the base? Twist or olives? Stuffed or plain? Dirty or clean? Do you experiment with different types of vermouth? And what is your favorite gin and what is your favorite vodka? How dry is dry before one becomes a show-off? Share your knowledge, O oh mistress of mixology. Yes, Theodore, that's me, purveyor of prayer and mistress of mixology. All right, Theo. Can I call you Theo? I feel like we know each other so well already. Um, this is a question I'm happy to answer. Now, darling, who invented it is definitely up for debate. Some say its true origin goes back to the gold rush of the 1800s and this little Californian town called Martinez. Rumor has it a gold miner struck it rich and he decided to celebrate his good fortune at the local bar and he wanted champagne, which of course they didn't have. So the bartender concocted some other beverage made from whatever he had on hand, which was gin, vermouth, bitters, some sort of maraschino liqueur, a slice of lemon. So that was then called the Martinez Special, if we believe the folklore. And that was born, you see, the Martinez Special. And the miner enjoyed the cocktail. He went to San Francisco because he had all this money now. And he asked another bartender to make the Martinez Special. The bartender didn't know about it. So he instructed him in its preparation and it was, you know, a sweet drink, but it was a bracing drink and its popularity grew. And you can find the Martinez special if you look in the bartender's manuals of the 1800s. However, this theory isn't accepted unanimously. Other people say that that's not really what happened. Um, there are assertions that it originated in New York's Knickerbocker Hotel. Others say the drink was named after Martini and Rossi. Um, martini being that very famous ubiquitous vermouth that's drunk all over Europe. And that was created in the mid-1800s, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and in the interest of brevity, Martini and Rossi just became Martini, blah, blah, blah. No one knows. Somebody actually wrote a whole book about it, uh, Barnaby Conrad III. Um, but I don't know that he knows either. He's just researched. What I can tell you is that the Martini as we know it today became popular in the 1950s and the 1960s. And that was a time when people drank far more than was good for them. And, uh, you know, that was the three martini lunchtime. I don't know how anyone can do that and live, but they did. Now, I'm looking down your list of questions. <clears throat> Purists will tell you that the base has to be gin, has to be gin. Gin is very fashionable right now. If you pop into any good liquor store and you'll notice the amazing variety available to you, the choice is actually mind boggling. Now, back in its earlier incarnations, the ratio of gin to vermouth was one to one. And that has changed over the years. And I'm not sure that's a good thing. It was a ratio of one to one served very cold and stirred, not shaken, with your choice of lemon twist or a nice juicy olive. You see, I mean, in my opinion, that is the perfect classic martini of yore. I would not use a stuffed olive for gin, nor would I make it dirty. If you use a good gin with good botanical notes, you don't want to drown any of that out. 
And if you prefer a cocktail onion, by the way, instead of the olives and the lemons, it's not a martini anymore. It's a Gibson. Classic cocktails, my darlings, rarely have more than three ingredients. Now it's 2021 for what it's worth, and using vodka instead of gin is perfectly acceptable these days. Back in the day, vodka and vermouth was known as a kangaroo. We call it a vodka martini now, presumably to avoid offending Australian marsupials, because we have to be very careful in today's PC world about that sort of thing. Vodka is a clean taste for sure, but it doesn't have the depth of flavor associated with gin. My perfect ratio for a classic vodka martini is two parts vodka to one part vermouth, and I always use an olive, never a twist, and I make it a little bit dirty just to give it some flavor. Now, Theo asked about different vermouths, and yes, I do experiment. There is a difference. <clears throat> you won't know, of course, until you try them out, which can be very expensive. So wherever possible, ask for half bottles. Another reason for using half bottles is shelf life. Vermouths, they're sort of fortified wines in a way. They don't have a long shelf life. Once you open a bottle, you must refrigerate it. I have a thing for vermouth. If you experiment as much as I do, you'll find half a dozen opened bottles languishing in the back of your refrigerator, longing to be used. Now, a little side note on the vermouths, they can be drunk neat on the rocks or topped up with club soda. They are aperitifs originally designed to stimulate the appetite and dry white vermouths can be used as a substitute for cooking sherry in the kitchen. Did you know that? Well, now you do. He's asking about my favorites. <clears throat> Excuse me, I'm a little dry. Let me have a little sip of my cocktail. Mm. Ah, mm. So my go-to vermouth for gin martinis is currently Dolan Dry, D-O-L-I-N. And it's it's lightly aromatic, floral, white wine, but it's quite restrained on the palate. Um, a lot of bartenders like Dolan because you can do anything with it, they say. It's a lovely, what did, how, did he, how did he phrase it, my guy? A versatile supporting actor for your martini. And it's actually well-priced for a top-end thing. It's about $17 a bottle. The other one I always have, if you've ever ordered a martini in a hotel or an airport bar, strong chance it was martini and Rossi extra dry. I don't like that one on its own, but when it's mixed with um, a juniper driven gin, it's 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 lovely. And it's a very classic tasting dry um, driver move. And that's about ten dollars a bottle. So not bad at all, really. Now, you can use these vermouths for either vodka, I mean, for vodka or gin, of course, especially when you're dressing it with olives. But if if you prefer a vodka martini and you prefer a slight citrus twist over the olive, I recommend using um, a vermouth wine called Lillet, L-I-L-L-E-T. It's a French aperitif, fortified wine that's flavored with herbs and citrus. And there are several types. I use Lillet Blanc. And it's a light flavor, again, with subtle floral and herbal notes, but it has a very intriguing herbal combination. It's light, it's refreshing, very versatile, and um, nothing to say you can't use it with gin either. Just experiment. But if you want a vodka martini with a twist, don't do traditional vermouth, do a lillet. It's really quite yummy. Theodore also wants to know how dry is dry before you become a show-off. <laughs> yes, well, many conversations have been had about this, Theodore. In my humble, not so humble opinion, no cocktail should be alcohol vapor heavy. It's a blend. If you want pure booze, get a shot glass and a small beer chaser. Cocktails are a sophisticated pleasure. It takes time to prepare the perfect cocktail. As with any ritual, you spend time preparing properly and the ritual goes smoothly. And to answer Theo's final question, it's difficult to say what my favorite gin or vodka is today as the variety is seemingly endless and I consider it my duty as chief martini head of Cosmic Reality Radio to try them all. 
couple of classics, I guess. One vodka I'm never without for the classic martini is Kettle One. And that said, I have about 20 bottles of vodka, all different. Some made from rice and some actually from pineapple in my cabinet. As for gin, lots of designer gins out there, but good old fashioned Gordon's Special London Dry Gin or Beef Eater work very well for a cocktail. You don't have to break the bank. Tanqueray makes good gin too. You don't have to break the bank. You just have to take it slowly and seriously and make sure that everything is chilled well. If you have a good liquor store near you with knowledgeable staff, go talk to them. I'm blessed to have Stafford Beverage here in Wilsonville, Oregon. Hands down, groovy selection and groovy people. And they don't pay me to say that. No, they don't. And Theo, I'm going to give you the most commonly accepted proportions for a cocktail, whether it's gin or vermouth. In my opinion, I like more vermouth, but four to one seems to be the standard now. So you're going to have four parts of your gin or your vodka to one part of your vermouth. A cocktail glass, and then you're going to decide olives or a lemon twist. Get yourself a cocktail shaker, fill it with cracked ice, pour in the vermouth, shake it about, pour in the gin and vodka, Stir briskly. I like mine stirred, not shaken. A hard shake integrates the flavors better, but I like my vermouth not so well integrated. Then you strain the whole thing into a chilled cocktail glass, garnish with your olive or a lemon twist, and then you savor it. Don't knock it back. You're not in a biker bar. Let the flavors flow and excite the palate. That said, of course, there's a very nice biker bar not too far from me. Um, I'm sure they'll make me up a martini if I ask them. Thank you, Theodore of Baltimore, Maryland, for that exceptionally brilliant question. Um, I'm going to look you up if I'm ever in your part of the world. Well, let's see. Let's have a little drink and see where we're going. Ooh, that went right up my nose. <laughs> I think let's wrap it up for questions, answers and comments today. Keep them coming, people. This show wants to know what you, the people, have on your strange little minds. All right. Now I think it's time for Tarot A Go Go. A little what the heck with your favorite tarot deck. Where are we? I think we did the Four of Cups last time. So we're going to do the Four of Swords this time. So let's pick this up. And let's see what information this card wants to share. I see a, a sort of a sarcophagus, really a tomb. And there's a lady. Could be a effeminate man. Who knows? But it looks like a lady laying on top. Um, she's got a shield over her. She's dressed nicely. And there are indeed four swords surrounding her. But she's not holding any. I get the impression if she wants them, though, they're there to hand. But this is a card of rest. Clearly. I mean, to the point that she could be comatose or dead. So when I pick this up, it gives me the impression I need to chill out, as in really relax. Yeah, I need to renew, recuperate. I need some time out. Hmm, I'm regrouping. Also gives you the idea of prayer, of solitude, going into deep meditation, perhaps. All of those things, introspection, contemplation, reevaluation. Perhaps this person is recovering from an illness. Compared to other cards around it, that's going to be the giveaway. It could mean hospitals or sickness, a doctor visit, something along those lines. But on its own, it's just peaceful. Get away from it all. Give me a break. Let me go inward. So you probably pick up this card when you're stressed out of your head and the universe is telling you to regroup and relax. Maybe you need a nice little vacation. Yeah, someone needs a rest. So let's turn it upside down then and see if we can make any sense of it in the reverse position. What does it make me feel? Let me take a look at it for a minute here. It's interesting. It could go either way. I mean, one of the things is like, oh, 
she's fallen off the tomb. So get up, <laughs> get up, you lazy cow. Get on with your day. Get back into action. You pick this up reversed, it might mean, hey, man, you've got deadlines, no time to relax. Get on with it. Get on with work. Yes, you recovered. Own it. Move on. Up and at him, Batman. But again, it could mean something a little bit more negative. It could mean discontent, loneliness, rejection, detention. What else am I getting? Unhappiness. I don't like my surroundings. I feel out of place. I've been out of the frying pan into the fire. So when I'm holding it reverse, I would say that in its most favorable aspect, it's uh, OK, breaks over, get back to work. And in its less favorable aspect, I think it says. Um, there's ill health, some problems. You might have to go into hiding. Get a new identity. It could be all in any of those things. It could also mean that you're going to receive unexpected guest, which is not a good thing, an unwelcome, unexpected guest. You know, last time I had a client pick this card, just one card, and he picked it and it was in the reverse position. I found out later that he was actually on the lamb and he had to get a whole new identity. <laughs> so, yes, it could mean any and all of those things. So there we are, the four of swords. People always panic when they pick up a sword. Well, not a real sword. I mean, the suit of swords. Don't. Every suit, every emblem has its place in our lives. You can certainly kill people with a sword, but with the sharp object, you can also do life-saving surgery. That's why I like people to pick up the cards and just talk to them and let the cards talk to you. Don't go backwards and forwards looking in the book as to the meaning. Develop a relationship with your cards. Make them a conduit of supreme cosmic intelligence. All right. Where are we at now? Oh, golly, we still have some time. How wonderful is that? So I think then we have enough time for Plato Chips, <laughs> where we quote a philosopher of note. And today's pick is Dr. Vernon Coleman. Yes, folks, today's philosopher is still alive and doing well and has multiple videos on brand new tube. He did have them all over YouTube before they began turning into Big Brother is watching you and screw YouTube. So why do I like this chappy? Apart from the fact that in his elder years, he is laying out the COVID hoax in plain English. Who is he? Is he actually a philosopher? I believe he is. There are some that say he won't fit into this Plato chip section, but he does. By his own admission, he was an angry young man for as long as it was decently possible. Then he turned into an angry middle aged man. And now with no effort whatsoever. These are his words, not mine. He has matured into being an angry old man. He is, he confesses, just as angry as he ever was. Indeed, he may even be angrier. Because, he says, the more he learns about life, the more things he finds to be angry about. Cruelty, prejudice and injustice are the three things most likely to arouse his well-developed sense of ire. But he admits that at a pinch, inefficiency, incompetence and greed will do almost as well. He does not cope well with bossy people, particularly when they are dressed in uniform and attempting to confiscate his Swiss army penknife. He says, being told I can't do something has always seemed to me sufficient reason to do it, he says. And being told that I must do something has always seemed to me a very good reason not to do it. Dr. Vernon Coleman has an innate dislike of taking orders, a pathological contempt for pomposity, hypocrisy, and the sort of unthinking political correctness which attracts support from a Guardian reading pseudo-intellectuals. I'm right behind you with that, mate, let me tell you. He also has a passionate loathing for those in authority who do not understand that unless their authority is tempered with compassion and a sense of responsibility, the end result must always be an extremely unpleasant brand of 
totalitarianism. He believes that multiculturalism on a global scale is perfectly appropriate, but that individual countries are best left to be individual. He regards the European Union as the most fascist organization ever invented and looks forward to its early demise. Damn right, Dr. Coleman, I am with you on that one. I detest the whole notion of Hitler's brainchild, the European Union. I'm glad England is out of it, um, but I don't know what it's going into. God bless England. Okay, uh, back to this, uh, back into Plato chips before I digress and pontificate in far off lands. Um, with this chap, he's a thinker, he's a theorist, a philosophizer, a metaphysician. A, he's an intellect, he's a brain, he's a sage, he's a wise man. He's all of those things. And he cares deeply and profoundly about the future of the human race. He has written over a hundred books which have sold over two million copies in England alone. One um, that you might want, his, his novel, um, one of my favorites, Mrs. Caldicott's Cabbage War. That's actually been turned into a film with Pauline Collins and Peter Capaldi and John Alderton. He also wrote Mrs. Caldicott's Knickerbocker Glory, The Man Who Inherited a Golf Course, The Village Cricket Tour, Deadline, Paris in My Springtime, and just so many. He also writes about cats. He loves cats. He also wrote a lovely book called How to Stop Your Doctor Killing You. And he has a global bestseller, Body Power. And that was voted one of the top 100 books by British readers. And we all know the British read a lot. He also um, wrote a book on politics, including England, Our England, Living in a Fascist Country. Gordon is a moron. <laughs> what happens next? Oil Apocalypse 2020. Um, I'm currently reading his book on Agenda 21. So this chap cares deeply and profoundly about the future of our nation. He has a track record of spotting health dangers. In fact, some would say that it is second to none. After all, he was a doctor, probably still is. He wrote, I think, The Medicine Men and Paper Doctors. He draws attention to the dangerously close relationship between the medical establishment and the pharmaceutical industry. And in the book Paper Doctors that he printed as early as uh, 77, 1977, he argued that most medical research is done for the benefit of researchers and drug companies and that the money would be better spent on using the information we already have and encouraging the public to avoid known health hazards. So he is very much a champion of the people, and that has got him into a great deal of trouble over the years. He hates it when people who are not medically qualified write about medical matters, and he wants people to write about medical matters without bias and without any professional or commercial commitments or allegiances. And as one would imagine, his brutal form of honesty has made many enemies among the medical establishment and the establishment's commercial alliances. For years, he's predicted what's happening today. His forecasts and his warnings have been made for years and years and years. He really tried very hard, this chap, through his books and through all of his public speaking presentations. Did anyone listen to him? Apparently not. But he was one of the first people to talk about the dangers of certain types of tranquilizers and that passive smoking can cause cancer. He warned about mobile phones and cancer. He warned that tap water contains harmful drug residues. He pointed out that genetic engineering in all its forms can be a threat to human health. He claimed that high blood pressure can be controlled without drugs. Well, what a notion. Isn't that amazing? He also warned about the risks of mad cow disease. Did anyone listen to him? No. He warned that deep vein thrombosis is a serious threat to air travelers. Did anyone listen to him? Nope. He explained why medical screening programs are of more benefit to doctors than to patients. 
He warned that the threat of AIDS was widely exaggerated for commercial reasons. That made him very unpopular. He warned that the overuse of antibiotics was creating drug-resistant infections. He warned that doctors were overdiagnosing asthma. He drew attention to the value of generic drugs as opposed to branded drugs. He warned that ADHD was being overdiagnosed and treated with dangerous drugs. He pointed out the incidence of diabetes is rising out of control. The prostate screening does more harm than good. That breast screening is of doubtful value. He warned of the dangers of overexercising. Well, that's something I can get behind. <laughs> he warned of the dangers that jogging can do to the spine and the joints. He warned that vaccines are neither safe nor as effective as the establishment claims. Mm. He explained that stress causes or exacerbates 90% of all illnesses. He explained the facts about irritable bowel syndrome. And you know, man, this guy has just talked on and on and on about all of the mistakes that we have made by trusting the medical establishment. He got out there and said, depression is being overdiagnosed and overtreated, and the supposed cure is much worse than the initial depression. He drew attention to the self-healing powers of the human body. He said that chemotherapy often does more harm than good. He explained the dangers of so many of these dreadful pharmaceutical products that we take today. And, you know, he goes on and on and on about it. And he's not just, you know, a guy who used to be a doctor who makes these random metaphysical comments. He is very tech savvy. He's an older chap. And for many years, he has promoted the use of computers in medicine. In 1983, he co-wrote the world's first computer software on health for public use. And that software was called the Home Doctor series, and he wrote it for Sinclair and Commodore computers. Oh, my God, does anyone remember Commodore computers? So I would recommend that you pop out and you take a look at Dr. Vernon Coleman. All of his books, just go to vernoncoleman.com, read all about him. And if you're not a book reader, Go to YouTube and brand YouTube and probably on BitChute and all of the certainly the non-censored channels and watch his videos. He's a deeply compassionate man with a great deal of knowledge. And I suspect that when the time comes for him to cross the Rainbow Bridge, he is going to be the proverbial old man in a chair, just sitting there and trying to advise people, trying to wake them up until he takes his last breath, after which, when he crosses the Rainbow Bridge, after sorting things out on the other side, he will probably channel himself through some medium or another and continue to wake up planet Earth. So kudos to you, Dr. Vernon Coleman. I really appreciate your efforts to be a spiritual warrior for the betterment of mankind on this planet. So there we are. I've made you a philosopher. All right, what should we do next? Let's have a drinky poo. Mm, quite lovely. I think it's time for some fun history facts, some weird news. I think I mentioned probably ad nauseum and many times before that before I became this verbose person, I actually registered on the Asperger's um, syndrome level probably a one or a two or possibly a three. But social interaction and small talk was a nightmare for me. Because at that time, especially when I was younger, I was completely uninterested in anyone's life except mine. That has changed over the years. But uh, somebody said to me, Annie, if you get a book on interesting tidbits and weird historical facts, silly things like that, and learn about them, if you don't have anything to say to someone, you could always say something like, did you know that the lifespan of a hedgehog who drinks gin martinis is, you know, blah, blah, blah. And that'll open up the way. And that person, I owe them a great debt because it's true. So let's proceed to weird little tidbits of history. All right. What have I got here? I made a list this morning. 
Ah, during World War II, a great dame, a great dame named Juliana was awarded the Blue Cross Medal. Why was she awarded the Blue Cross Medal? Because she extinguished an incendiary bomb by peeing on it. Good for you, Juliana. And when I say a great Dane, I don't mean a very large woman from Denmark. I mean, you know, the dog, a great Dane. So Juliana definitely deserved her medal. So ancient Rome, one of my fascinations in life, I, I must have had multiple lifetimes there. Here's a little tidbit I, uh, I, I picked up. They used to be female gladiators in ancient Rome, really female gladiators. And a female gladiator was called a gladiatrix. And they were quite rare, apparently, compared, of course, to their male counterparts. But they were a thing. That's kind of an exciting notion, actually, a female gladiator. Gosh, back in the day, I would have loved to have met women like that. All right, moving along. I was looking up some medicinal tidbits and I came across ketchup. Well, I don't know how ketchup was made back in the day. I'll have to research that. But today it's pretty much all sugar unless you make it yourself. So I doubt it would cure anything. But here's the thing. It was sold in the 1830s as medicine. It was sold as a cure for an upset stomach by John Cook, who was a physician in Ohio. And it wasn't popularized as a condiment until the late 19th century. Well, that's interesting. All right, uh, tidbits about cocktails, my favorite subject in the world. Not really, but second favorite subject. The Bloody Mary, everyone's favorite brunch time drink, wasn't always called the Bloody Mary. It was actually called, <laughs> wait for it, a bucket of blood. Ugh. Who would order something called a bucket of blood? And then it transitioned from a bucket of blood to red snapper. And finally, we settled on Bloody Mary, which I think we can all live with. Staying with the alcohol theme, after the Second World War ended, Russia ran out of vodka celebrating the, war, the war's end. So they had street parties, apparently, all over the Soviet Union, which lasted for days. And the nation's vodka reserves ran out a mere 22 hours after the partying started. Well, hurrah, tabarish, hurrah, all you Russians for doing that. That's how you celebrate the end of a nasty war. And I didn't know this. Here's something else. In 1945, a balloon bomb launched by Japan landed in Oregon. It fell upon it fell upon a woman and five children who sadly died when it exploded. And this is the only World War II casualty on U.S. soil right here in Oregon. Hmm. I wonder if they might launch one of those and send it towards our governor's mansion. That could really help a lot. And my look, did I say that? No, that wasn't me. My last little tidbit. Abraham Lincoln, who I love, was also a licensed bartender. So now I love him more. In 1833, the president, I think he was the 16th president, was he? I don't know. He opened up a bar called Berry and Lincoln with his old friend, William F. Berry, in New Salem, Illinois. And the shop was eventually closed because guess what? Berry was a raging alcoholic and consumed most of the shop's inventory. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. That's not functional drinking, is it? And we do like functional drinking. Darlings, surely an hour isn't up. I think it is. I think that's it for today. I finished my drinky poo. That means the end of the show. And I hope you enjoyed it because I love recording the show. I always do. Today's real life cocktail is not a martini, but a prepare for summer cocktail called a sidewinder. And this is something that you make in a jug and share with all your friends. Go ahead and get yourself a quarter of a cup of fresh lemon juice, quarter of a cup of pure maple syrup, a couple of tablespoons of apple cider vinegar, several cups of chilled Hefeweizen beer, whatever you want to top it up with club soda and some lemon wedges. 
And by the way, if you want to add some bourbon to this, you certainly can. I'm not going to stop you. But you stir the first four ingredients into a large pitcher, add a cup of ice, cover and refrigerate until well chilled. About two hours, I'd say. Then you stir in the beer and the club soda, put it up into highball glasses with ice, divide it amongst your friends, garnish it with lemon wedges and serve. And it is wonderful for a summer barbecue. And it's really good. I made this entire jug for me, but it's just one drink. So I'm sure throughout the evening I will finish it. Remember, folks, cocktails are great if they are an occasional treat. If you use top quality ingredients and take the art of mixology seriously, one very big drink is all you need. I love you all. I'm Arnie Avedisian. This was Metaphysical Martini, a production of Cosmic Reality Radio, to whom we are most grateful. Until we meet again, let the spirit inhabit the human. You have been listening to The Metaphysical Martini Show with Ani Abedisian, the suburban shaman, a production of Cosmic Reality Radio.